Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's deep dive podcast into genre television. I'm Josh Wiggler, your host here on Series Regular. And for the next several weeks, we're all in on one thing and one thing only. Game of Thrones. Consider this your weekly window into the world of Westeros as we thoroughly explore each episode of the Emmy-winning epic's final season. All right, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you're fully caught up on Game of Thrones and that you have at the very least a working knowledge of what's at stake heading into the final season. If not, check out our first episode, which was designed to catch you up on seven seasons worth of story in less than 15 minutes. Easy time commitment, and with any luck, pretty easy to understand. Even then, we only touched on a few of the series regulars among the Thrones cast. Kit Harrington as Jon Snow, Amelia Clark as Daenerys, Peter Dinklage as Tyrion, Lena Headey as Cersei, and Nikolai Custer Waldo as Jaime, with a little bit of room reserved for the dragons and the White Walkers. Obviously, that's barely scratching the surface of the sprawling ensemble, which counts more than 20 series regulars still among its active cast, not to mention the supporting players who are bound to play a role in the remaining 432 minutes on the clock. It's not possible to do justice to every single character still on the board here. Not even going to try. The good news. I have tried very hard to do just that in my final path series of columns over on THR.com slash Game of Thrones, where I've been making character by character predictions heading into the final season. Give those a look if you're in the market for some deep dive reads. If listening to my very serious voice is more your speed, then stick around for the next little while as I lay out some of my favorite theories and predictions before the clock officially starts on the final six episodes. First item on the docket. Let's talk about the Iron Throne. It's the seat of power in Westeros, the single most coveted item in all of thrones. Built hundreds of years ago by Aegon the Conqueror, the throne was occupied by Targaryen kings right up until Robert Baratheon showed up. We all know how that went. King Robert Baratheon, murdered by a pig. Since then, a few others have wound up on the throne. Joffrey Baratheon, first and worst of his name. A true champion defeats all their challenges. Surely there are others out there who still dare to challenge my reign? Tom and Baratheon, first of his name, and father of cats. That's a pounce. <laughs> Most recently, there's the current occupant, the Lion Queen, Cersei Lannister, mother of the late Joffrey and Tommen. When season seven began, one wondered how Cersei would stand any kind of chance against the forces of Daenerys and Jon Snow, let alone the White Walkers. But we should have known better. That was my prize mistake. A failure of imagination. She's a monster, you do know that. Heading into the final season, Cersei remains on the Iron Throne. Will it stay that way through the end of the series? Absolutely not. Again, I don't want to underestimate Cersei, but there's no way this story ends with her still in charge. 
Thrones is based on author George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire novel series, and although we're leagues past his publication pace, we should still take into account the way he's described his plan for the story's conclusion. The word he's used to describe the ending is bittersweet. Cersei surviving and ruling over Westeros is sweet for one person and one person only. Cersei. It's not happening. There's just no way. So, who will sit on the Iron Throne? The season 7 finale offered a very legitimate contender in the form of Jon Snow, thanks to his true origins as revealed by Samuel Tarly and Bran Stark. He's never been a bastard. He's the heir to the Iron Throne. Jon Snow is the newest man to wear the name Aegon Targaryen, should he choose to accept it. But will he choose to accept the crown that comes with the royal name? Hard to say. For one thing, Jon's going to have the more pressing matter of accepting the fact that his new girlfriend is secretly his aunt. For another, Jon's not much of a glory guy. He's a meat and potatoes guy, a fighter, a man of duty, someone with no real desire for power other than wielding it against the forces of the dead and saving mankind. Then again, if he and Danny get past their familial bond, and there's reason to believe they might, since there's a long history of Targaryens marrying within their own family, then maybe Jon will wind up ruling over the Seven Kingdoms, alongside Daenerys, sharing the crown and ushering in a new era. But I'm sad to say that I just don't see that one either. That would be too sweet, not enough on the bitter side. The middle ground version of that outcome would see something like this. Jon Snow losing his life once again in order to protect the realm, leaving Daenerys alive to rule the land. It's possible that she's pregnant with Jon's child after their season seven boat ride rendezvous, despite some early series prophecies to the contrary. The dragons are my children. They're the only children I'll ever have. Do you understand? Jon and Danny producing a child honors one of the great prophecies from George R.R. R. Martin's text, a line that states, the dragon has three heads. John, much like the late and tragically resurrected ice dragon Viserion, could fly off into the abyss, while Danny rules with her son at her side, in some ways mirroring John's own mysterious upbringing. As for Daenerys, it feels a little easy ending the series with her on the Iron Throne, but it's also hard to imagine a better candidate. This has been her entire storyline. It's got to culminate with the win, right? So let me pitch something that somewhat splits the difference. Danny wins the great game and becomes the new force of change in Westeros, just as she wants. But nonetheless, she decides to destroy the Iron Throne. A Targaryen created the thing in the first place, using hundreds of melted swords to mold the coveted throne. So perhaps as her first order of business, maybe Daenerys is going to undo the terrible thing. After all, consider Danny's stated approach to ruling over Westeros. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. It's a beautiful dream. Stopping the wheel. You're not the first person who's ever dreamt it. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. I'm not sure what good breaking wheels is going to do, but breaking the throne? Now that's a gesture. Speaking of broken wheels and thrones, how about some broken hearts? As I mentioned, we're talking about more than 20 main characters still active on Game of Thrones. Odds are good that we're going to have a drastically reduced number when all is said and done. Heads are going to roll, and death, like winter, is coming for your faves, including these two characters, who I'm pretty positive are on their way out of here. 
If you don't mind my saying, I don't think you should return to Westeros. I'm not sure you'd be safe here. Oh, I will return, dear spider. One last time. My lady. I have to die in this strange country. Just like you. That's from season seven's third episode, The Queen's Justice. And so far, it's the last appearance of Melisandre the Red Woman, delivering a very ominous promise to Varys the Spider. It's as plain as day. Melisandre says she's going to die in Westeros, as is Varys. We should know better than to take anything that Melisandre says at face value, given how wrong she's been in the past, especially when it came to predicting victory for the late Stannis Baratheon. But what Melisandre sees in the fires typically comes true in some way, shape, or form. It's really her interpretations that are off. If she sees herself dying in Westeros, and if she sees Varys dying in Westeros, chances are high that they're going to die in Westeros. But before she can die, Melisandre has to cross paths with someone she met a long, long time ago. For those who need a refresher. You're a witch. You're going to hurt him. I see a darkness in you. And in that darkness, eyes staring back at me. Brown eyes. Blue eyes. Green eyes. Eyes you'll shut forever. We will meet again. That's Melisandre and Arya Stark, speaking back in season three. Unless David Benioff and Dan Weiss plan to leave that thread dangling in the wind, we should expect to see Melisandre and Arya meet again in the final season. Melisandre also happens to be one of the names still on Arya's list, thanks to the role she played in taking Gendry away from the Brotherhood Without Banners. The scenario I've imagined is Arya making good on her promise to kill Melisandre, but not out of any kind of malice. Instead, it would be a mercy, a euthanization of the Red Woman after she suffers some sort of injury in the war against the White Walkers. As for Varys, unfortunately, yeah, he's in trouble. Just about every single mover and shaker in the original King's Landing game has died by now, with Varys still hanging in there thanks to his flexible schemes and his steadfast principles. And yes, Varys does have steadfast principles, believe it or not. He articulated them as early on as Season 1, speaking with Ned Stark in a cold, dark dungeon prior to the Lord of Winterfell's execution. Tell me something, Varys. What do you truly serve? The realm, my lord. Someone must. We didn't know him well enough then to know he was telling the truth, but we know him well enough now. Varys truly, authentically wants nothing more than what's best for the realm, for the commoners who can't fight for themselves. He wants that more than anything, more than power for himself, more than his own survival. And I believe he's going to get the chance to prove that pretty soon, based on what was shown in the full trailer for the final season. There's a scene there where Varys is sitting alongside several others who aren't much use in a fight. They're all huddled together in the cold crypts of Winterfell as the battle rages on beyond them with the White Walkers and everybody else who's fighting. A lot of Thrones fans and armchair quarterbacks have supposed the Night King is going to reach the crypts of Winterfell and raise the bones of deceased Stark Lords as new soldiers in his army of the dead, which, by the way, would be terrifying and therefore is likely to happen. And if that happens, I can very easily picture the scenario where Varys sacrifices his own life to get as many people safely out of the crypts as humanly possible. Varys fatally proving his truth in yet another dark dungeon, once again in the presence of an ill-fated Eddard Stark, 
feels all too possible to me. You should get yourself prepared for it. Since we're on the subject of ill-fated Starks, and really, are there other kinds of Starks? We should talk about which ones we're going to lose in the final season. I already posited death for Jon Snow, and I'm sticking to it. He's a tragic hero, one destined to save many lives, but not someone who's destined to enjoy the fruits of his labor. I don't think we're going to lose Sansa. That's the good news. I think she's going to be queen in the North. I think that the North will find independence by the end of this through partnership with Daenerys Targaryen, and Sansa will be the queen, and it will be a very satisfying resolution for her storyline. I don't know what's going to happen with Bran. I think that there is a possibility that he could die. I have a stronger prediction for where his storyline is going, and we'll get to that in a minute. But there is another Stark that we should be talking about. We'll lose Jon Snow. And we may lose another. We've lost John once before. And not to say it won't be heartbreaking to lose him definitively. It's just to say that, well, we've been here before. And I don't think it would elicit the same sort of reaction as Ned's beheading or the Red Wedding to lose Jon Snow twice. With that said, this is the Stark death that would trigger a Red Wedding level reaction. A girl is Arya Stark of Winterfell. And I'm going home. I don't think there's a single character on Game of Thrones more universally loved than Arya Stark. She's the audience's avatar of vengeance, the coolest killer on the scene, and someone we care about deeply. Sometimes she unsettles us thoroughly with the violent extent of her rage. And sometimes all we want in the world is for her to set aside Needle and call it a day. Not every name needs to be scratched off the list, you know. But I don't know if Arya knows that. I don't know if she feels the same way, at least not yet. She still has some big targets on the board. The Mountain, for one. Though it feels safe to say he's spoken for. We'll get to that in a little bit. The even bigger name on Arya's list. The aforementioned Cersei Lannister. The woman who's caused so much misery for House Stark since the very beginning of this show. There's some people out there who think Arya will kill Cersei. Thanks to a certain interpretation of a prophecy called the Valonqar. The High Valyrian word for younger sibling. The more popular take on that theory is that Jaime is going to end up killing Cersei. Since he's technically her younger brother. I tend to subscribe to that take. I think that's probably what's going to happen. But more importantly, I think Arya's quest for vengeance against Cersei is going to directly backfire on her and lead to yet another Stark death at a Lannister's hands. How's it going to play out? This is how my Valyrian foil hat theory goes. Arya, who has rarely doled out mercy in her days as an assassin, reaches the moment in which she can kill Cersei. In that moment, Cersei reveals that she's pregnant with an unborn child. In that moment, Arya, who once posed as a young woman named Mercy, will finally live up to that name and finally start to appreciate the bloody toll of all the bodies she's left in her wake, hesitating just long enough for Cersei, or one of Cersei's disciples, to get the drop on Arya. What do we say to the god of death? Not today. Not today, but maybe a few Sunday nights into the future... Arya will finally meet the god Sirio Pharrell used to talk so much about. I really hope not. I'd love to be wrong, because I don't know that my heart could handle an Arya Stark death scene, but this is Game of Thrones. And moreover, it's the final season of Game of Thrones. We have to lose people we love, because that's the spirit of the show. And there's no one whose death would hit harder than the young wolf herself. That's the bad news. The good news Bad people are going to die, too, including one of the biggest and baddest of them all. Gregor the Mountain Clegane, killed at the hands of his own brother, the Hound. 
It's one of the most hyped events of the final season, and you better believe it's going to go down. The Clagane Bowl, the fan-given nickname for the inevitable showdown between these two brutal brothers. Their beef with one another predates the series, with Littlefinger once telling Sansa the full story behind Gregor and Sanders' feud. Has anyone ever told you the story of the mountain and the hound? Lovely little tale of brotherly love. The hound was just a pup. Six years old, maybe. Gregor, a few years older. Already a big lad, already getting a bit of a reputation. Some lucky boys just born with a talent for violence. One evening, Gregor found his little brother playing with a toy by the fire. Gregor's toy. A wooden knight. Gregor never said a word. He just grabbed his brother by the scruff of his neck and shoved his face into the burning coals. Held him there while the boy screamed, while his face melted. Since then, the Mountain and the Hound have been on very separate journeys. The older sibling has only become deadlier as the series has worn on, if that's even possible. He fought and killed the Red Viper, succumbed to poisoning in the process came back to life somehow at the hands of Maester Kyburn, and has acted as Cersei's very own mute murder brute ever since. The Hound, meanwhile, has grown something of a heart, showing affection toward both Stark sisters, Arya especially, and even trying to find some semblance of peace in a life away from war. That didn't quite work out for him, as he was eventually pulled back into the fight, this time to take on the White Walkers alongside Jon Snow and the Brotherhood Without Banners. The Hound's last major appearance was also his first scene with his brother since season one, in which he finally stepped up to the mountain and spat out some fighting words. Remember me? Yeah, you do. You're even fucking uglier than I am now. What do they do to you? Doesn't matter. That's not how it ends for you, brother. You know who's coming for you. You've always known... Whether or not you've always known, you certainly know it now. The Clegane Bowl is absolutely happening. How's it going to play out? Plenty of different possibilities. Some people have speculated it's going to come in the form of a trial by combat, but with White Walkers in the mix, I feel like there's no time left for those kinds of games. More likely to me is that the Hound and the Mountain are going to meet each other on a future battlefield, whether that's at the Battle of Winterfell or some other conflict. Who's going to win? Well, after what happened to the Red Viper, it's hard to bet against the mountain. A reminder on how that played out, by the way, for those who need it. I've killed her children. Then I raped her. Then I smashed her head in like this. Sorry, I promise we won't bring that up every week. It's just so good and so gross. Anyway, even with that trauma still fresh in our hearts and minds, this is the end of the line we're talking about here. The perfect time for the Hound to finally take his brother down. Not to say it's not going to be without some great consequence. In fact, I think it's very possible that we'll see the Mountain kill the Hound, for instance. I just think that in such a case, it's equally likely that we'll see the Hound come back to life. It wouldn't be the first time someone's been brought back from the dead before on this show. See Jon Snow. See also the Lightning Lord, Beric Dondarrion, a man the Hound killed once upon a time, if only temporarily. I've been reborn in the light of the one true God, as have we all. 
as would any man who's seen the things we've seen. If you mean to murder me, then bloody well get on with it. You'll die soon enough, dog. In the Song of Ice and Fire novels on which Thrones is based, Beric Dondarrion lives and dies many times, much as he does on the show. Unlike the show, in the books, he sacrifices his final life at one point in order to bring someone back, Catelyn Stark, shortly after she's murdered at the Red Wedding. We're never going to see that happen on Game of Thrones. At this point, it's too far afield a storyline to transpire with only six episodes left. The Lady Stoneheart ship has sailed, I am sad to say. But I've long held to the theory that Beric could somehow breathe life back into Jon Snow, should Jon die again. And while I'm still keeping an eye out on that possibility, I now have a new pet theory, and that is that Beric is going to use his last remaining life to bring back the Hound, after the Hound dies in battle against the Mountain. After all, nobody believes in Sandor Clegane more than the Lightning Lord. You're a fighter. You were born a fighter. You walked away from the fight. How did that go? Good and bad, young and old. The things we're fighting will destroy them all alike. You can still help a lot more than you've harmed Clegane. It's not too late for you. There's also this exchange between Beric and the Hound. The last thing either man has ever said to one another thus far. We'll meet again, Clegane. Fucking hope not. So, let's recap. The Clegane Bowl, it's happening. It is known. The Hound is going to win. It is known. But the Hound is also going to die before he wins. Eventually brought back to life to stop the mountain from wreaking some sort of havoc that's going to threaten mankind's position in the war against the dead. It is not known, but it is now wildly theorized. Look, we're close to the end of the line here. If we're not wildly theorizing this close to the finish line while we still can, then what's the point? What are we doing here? Why are we here? So on that note, one last wild theorization, one last death we need to sketch out, and that is the fall of the Night King. As with the case with Cersei, there's really zero chance that Game of Thrones is going to end with the Night King's victory. The White Walkers are definitely going to do some significant damage on their warpath through Westeros. People will die. In addition to those I've already named... I really don't like the outlook for characters like Masande, Grey Worm, Jorah Mormont, Podrick Payne, Brienne of Tarth. All of those people I'm very nervous about joining the Army of the Dead. In fact, sign me up as one of the people who thinks someone we've already seen die at the hands of the Night King's army will reemerge in the final season as a big blue-eyed zombie. Christian Nairn remains one of the most beloved cast members within the Game of Thrones family. The odds of seeing him pop up for an undead cameo down the line are depressingly high, in my opinion. If there's any good news to come from such an outcome, it's this. The sight of an evil Hodor could very well trigger Bran Stark into his final course of action against the Night King. Honestly, Game of Thrones has already given us the tools to suss out the Night King's demise, or at least certain aspects of it. So let's begin with Bran. There's some unresolved business between him and the old Three-Eyed Raven that we should talk about, we should bring into this conversation. It's back in Season 4, in the Season 4 finale, when Bran first met the mystic Three-Eyed Raven for the first time. The Three-Eyed Raven tells Bran something that is very exciting and has yet to materialize. You're going to help me walk again. You'll never walk again. But you will fly. 
We haven't yet seen Bran Stark fly, unless we want to chalk that up to time travel or his ability to warg into ravens. If that's the extent of Bran's flight plan, honestly, that's going to be incredibly frustrating and disappointing. Bran Stark, the world's most powerful warg, needs to use those powers to zap his own consciousness into the body of a dragon. It is right there. It is the lowest of low-hanging fruits. There's even a freaking undead ice dragon for Bran to warg into. That has to happen. The first time we ever met Bran, he was trying to shoot an arrow at a target, cheered on by his family at Winterfell. The final season could very easily mirror this scene, as Bran tries to accurately warg into the undead Viserion, cheered on by the time-displaced words of his dead dad, Ned. It would be a great way to get a Sean Bean cameo into the final scene as a force ghost of sorts. Not to mention a nice way to nod at David Benioff and Dan Weiss's near future taking on the Star Wars franchise. Winter is coming. If Bran can hijack the Night King's dragon while the Night King is on it, then he can cause some great damage to the great enemy and even set the stage for a final battle between the White Walker's leader and the King in the North, Jon Snow. We already know what happens when Valyrian Steel makes contact with a White Walker. It kills them, shatters them into bits. And we know what happens to Whites when the White Walkers who've raised them from the dead are destroyed. They also die. They're also shattered into bits. So it leads us to this theory about the Night King, which is already posited by one of Game of Thrones' own characters, the aforementioned Lightning Lord Beric Dondarrion. Killed him. He turned them all. In that scene you just heard, Beric is standing a few yards away from the Night King and he points his sword at the Night King. He's saying, kill him. He turned them all. The implication being that if they kill the Night King, the entire army of the dead will fall apart. I'm on board with that. Sure, it seems a little convenient, but sometimes convenience is the way to go, especially when you only have six episodes left to wrap up all 1,346 stories still in play here on Game of Thrones. So with that said, this is my final battle prediction. Jon Snow, mortally injured in combat against the Night King, still manages to deliver the killing blow with his Valyrian sword Longclaw before it's all over, killing the Night King, leading to the fall of the White Walkers and their undead minions, giving victory to mankind, game over for the Night King, albeit at the expense of a certain shaggy-haired Targaryen heir, the death of Jon Snow. It's a big price, not a small price to pay, but it's a price that we're going to have to pay in order to have a bittersweet ending to this whole thing. So there you go. Some crackpot Game of Thrones theorizing to get you good and ready for the final season premiere. Most or all of these predictions are bound to start dying off ruthlessly in short order, much like the characters of Game of Thrones, perhaps as soon as premiere night, April 14th. The good news about that? We have a brand new episode of Game of Thrones to discuss very soon. That discussion is coming your way on the next episode of Series Regular. As always, thank you for listening to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's deep dive genre TV podcast. Subscribe to the show on your various podcast platforms. Email your questions and suggestions to seriesregular at thr.com or tweet them to me at roundhoward. And keep checking thr.com slash Game of Thrones for theories, interviews, and much more all season long. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.